Hey guys, this is Claire. I am very excited for you guys to hear this bonus episode that I recorded with Noelle Tarr of Well-Fed Women Podcast and Coconuts and Kettlebells. And when Joy and I had Noelle on the podcast a few weeks ago to talk about her and Stephanie Ruper's new book, Coconuts and Kettlebells, uh, she and I, after the podcast, started talking about our different experiences with postpartum mood disorders. And um, a lot of you guys know that I went through some serious postpartum depression after Miles was born, and you may or may not know that Noelle went through um, postpartum anxiety after her daughter, daughter Stella, was born. And we just thought it was really important to have a conversation with each other on the air, just as two people, um, you know, kind of connecting about those experiences. I want to make it clear that this episode is, you know, obviously. Um, not meant to replace any conversations with your doctor or your mental health practitioner. We are not here to diagnose you or, um, you know, provide treatment. We are just really hoping that having a conversation between two people who are seen typically as being really healthy and maybe even going so far as to have, have it all together, um, can still talk openly about our experiences with mental health issues and specifically with postpartum mental health. So um, I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. I hope that you guys love it. And please email us at girlsgonewad at gmail.com with any feedback, any questions. We, uh, Noelle and I, at the end of the um, episode, do talk a lot about our recommendations if you are pregnant or if you are newly postpartum or if you know someone who's pregnant or newly postpartum for how to set up a support network and how to get help if you need it. So definitely um, stay tuned for that part if you are in that position or know someone in that position. I hope you guys love this episode and thank you so much to Noelle for her vulnerability and sharing her stories. It's never easy to talk about these sorts of things, um, but we're really hopeful that if one person hears this episode and it helps them feel like they can talk about it, then it was totally worth it. All right, guys, enjoy. Hi, Claire. Hi, Noelle. <laughs> How are you today? I, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I feel a little silly, not silly right now, but a little like, okay, who goes first? Like who, who takes the lead? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is super fun though. Um, so this is obviously a mashup of two podcasts, Girls Gone Wad and Well-Fed Women. However, we are co-hostless and we are taking each other on as co-hosts. So um, yeah, which I I don't know. Do you typically lead? Is there like a leader in your podcast or not? I don't know. No, not really. But yeah, at least it's usually (laughs) like you kind of know. Yeah, we're like Girls Gone Well-Fed this week. I like that. Well-fed wad. Well-fed girls gone. No, girls gone well-fed. Let's go with that. Yeah. (laughs) Girls who are well-fed. Yes. Yeah. So today I'm really excited because we are going to be talking about something that actually Claire and I have kind of been scheming for a while, um, trying to coordinate our schedules. Uh, We're going to be talking about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And those are two issues that are near and dear to, I think, both of our hearts. And it's something that we both have have felt called as of, as of late to talk more about, because I don't know about you, Claire, but I just feel like I'm, even though this, I feel like we're like on the, I think, I feel like we're kind of on the brink of it being talked about more and actually being like 
discussed outwardly and openly without shame. I feel like there's so many people that are still silently suffering and don't even know where to go and what to do. Yes. Uh, and I also I feel like also maybe we feel that way because we are we have been in the world of it. Whereas if you are pregnant for the first time or experiencing this for the first time, you may have never even thought about it or looked into it before. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, where do I even start with this? And so we're really hoping that this can be a resource if you are someone who is pregnant or is a new mom or has a new mom or a pregnant mom in their life. And, you know, you can kind of hear this from like a normal person's perspective <laughs> a little bit. Are we normal? Uh, I didn't get that memo. <laughs> Relatively. <laughs> Somewhat. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I Now th thinking back on it, it's like I know about postpartum anxiety because I had that experience. However, right. I would know nothing about it if I hadn't have gone through that experience. And I didn't actually think there was anything called postpartum anxiety. All I knew about was postpartum depression. And you know, it's a very sensitive issue. And, you know, a lot of people do deal with it. And once you go through the process and you realize how underserved people are who are suffering from postpartum depression, it's like you're given this, you know, rate your happiness uh, oh questionnaire, essentially, which is, it, to me, it's just like, why are you even giving me this? Because it's just like, how much do you hate your life? How much do you hate your child? And so like, what are you, you going to say? Uh, very much so. Like, right. no, you're not. Yeah. My favorite so, question on that on that sheet, because we've all taken it, you and I both have probably taken it now how many times, is yeah. like, how rate your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> like, compared to yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> terrible yeah um, I have a <laughs> tiny human at home that right. needs me to be awake to feed it every two hours right right screams all the time right. yeah and the worst part for me was I actually failed the test like the whole thing because I was answering it honestly and so which I think is sometimes a cry for help it was during a week when my husband like she was four weeks old and my husband was gone on a trip and I answered it honestly and then it was I went to her, her next pediatrician appointment so I got it from her pediatrician's office which by the way never had seen this doctor before in my life and he right. was like so uh <laughs> seems like you're struggling a bit based on this questionnaire like how's it going now and I was like yeah it was a bad week like I'm I'm really struggling and he's like all right all right and that was it like that was it so oh he's gosh. like you you sort of you just barely didn't pass um but yeah so that's uh, I was like really like yeah barely <laughs> like, didn't pass I just failed and you're not and you're just brushing it off yeah. because I, I don't think they know what to do like they right. just it's it's a very gray area so totally yeah. All right. Um, so let's start by taking a big step back. Yes. And y you can go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and maybe, yeah, let's just talk about our mental health histories a little bit and then your, you know, your pregnancy and, you know, a little bit about your birth story and I'll do the same. And yeah, just kind of like maybe up to the point where you realize like, okay, this something is wrong. Yes. Okay. So when I was younger, I actually, so anxiety is in my family. Uh, most people in my family struggle with it in my immediate family. And so I, I'm, you know, I was born into that, which I, there's a big genetic component to mental health uh, disorders and mental disorders. And I, when I was, I would say probably nine or 10 years old, I suffered pretty severely from panic attacks. 
And that was really the first kind of inkling or the first sort of idea that I had as a pretty young child around, oh, like, you know, my brain has some power here and it's it's causing me physical symptoms. So what would happen is when I would go into a big store, I would instantly start to feel sick. I would I would feel like I was about to throw up. I would have diarrhea and I'd have to run to the bathroom. So as a child, when we'd go to, I vividly remember Sam's Club and like, you know, these bigger stores, for some reason it was bigger stores, I I would stay in the car because I just didn't want to go in. And um, I have an uncle who is very well trained in those areas and helping people through that. And he actually sat me down because I was, we were like all in the mall together and I ran to the bathroom and nobody knew where I was. And so after that sort of like, oh my gosh, she's really struggling, you know, he sat me down and talked to me about how to work through that. It was sort of like cognitive behavioral therapy. And I was freed of that um, through, you know, prayer and also his help. And it's so like quick CBT session in the mall. Yeah, it really was. It Well, it was the first time I actually had to like stop and be like, oh, this thinking pattern is not like it's my thoughts, but that doesn't mean they're correct. And sure. here's how I can write. So it's just like, oh, that's, you know, yeah. So <laughs> quick, quick therapy session in the mall. Um, and so, you know, I really, I've always had anxiety and, but it wasn't, I wasn't t- able to really, I, I would say pinpoint it or nail it down as I, as I got older. Um, I had a lot of anxieties, I think underlying going through high school and college uh, specifically about my body or, you know, a, a lot of those type A perfectionist tendencies would come out. I'd want to control a lot of things, not to say that I had a lack of control in the rest of my area, but I, uh, in the rest of my life. But I just, that was, that was something I really valued was like control being able to, um, have like predictable circumstances. Totally. And I think too, like when we're in that age group, that high school, college age group, anxiety so often manifests itself as just being a really high achiever. Oh, and right. And so you're, because you're like, here's how I can control everything is I can just do everything super, super well. And then I'll know what the outcome is. And so it becomes this like weird functional disorder of you're like, yeah, thanks anxiety. I got straight A's. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I never thought of it that way, but that's so true. Yeah, that's so true. So as I carried on with my life, um, I never had a problem sleeping or anything like that. Got married, you know, fell in love, that whole story. And I really started to feel anxiety around losing my husband, um, which is still something that I struggle with, but he would go on trips and, you know, it would manifest, but it was manageable. It all sort of got much worse when I had, uh, I got pregnant for the first time and had a miscarriage. And that is sort of the big like thing, you know, that you, that happens in your life and you look and you say like, I'm doing everything right. Like I'm doing all the holistic health nutrition things and like how could that have happened to me and you really it you know it was a big moment for me to kind of realize like whoa like you know as much as I think I'm in quote-unquote in control and have been trying to manage my anxiety with you know trying to act like I'm in control um I'm not and these tragedies happen, we don't know how to process them. And so I did was able to process that got through it. And I'm not a very emotional, like cryy person. So 
Um, it took, I, I actually, I did like, I'm sure a lot of people will be able to relate who had anxiety. Like I spent a week with like a huge lump in my throat. Um, and like my, my heart was racing and I was just like, what is going on with me? And I had a pretty big like cry with my husband and we were able to process it. And then like, I was, I was okay. Like I could go back to being like functional. So, um, not to say that, you know, that was the answer and solved everything. Cause it wasn't, but I was, that's how I was able to manage it. So then we got, um, pregnant again about a year later and, um, that, you know, that was a challenge. I feel, um, you know, I did have general anxiety, which I do think everybody deal, most people deal with in a, in a small capacity and it was manageable. I'll say that like it was, I was able to manage it. And the ways that I did was, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I would, I would pray. Um, I would have little things that I was able to do, um, like talk to my husband or talk to my pastor or talk to friends or, um, you know, talk to family. And I was able to kind of work through some of my emotions. And every morning I would just get up and try to give it over to God and, and not feel like I had to know the answer and feel like I was in control. Cause every day that you wake up after you've lost a, a child is, is this going to be the day? Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, there was a lot of mental processing that I was going through as I was going through that, but I still never felt like, oh, this is an issue that I need additional help with. It was just like, well, this is my personality. And, um, so I've always kind of struggled, you know, in that area. And so I never thought it was anything different. Um, going into, um, my last trimester, I, and this is true of most people. Most people are going to have some situations come up. Pregnancy is the ultimate, like, you have no control. Um, and so situations come up that just create more anxiety. So my anxiety was definitely situation-based. However, it was really my inability to deal with what I was experiencing. And in my last trimester, my daughter was breached. And I had planned to have an unmedicated birth with a midwife. And so that was a big moment for me. I ended up having something called an external version done where they actually turned the baby from the outside and it worked. That However, I had so a little bizarre. Did it, it was feel crazy. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I would rather do labor oh, gosh. before that again. Oh, yeah. Gosh. It just was, it just was a like zero to 100 intense pain and it was only like 20 seconds, but right. She flipped. She was fine. Um, heart rate was fine. I had a little bit of spotting with that. And I was in a hospital, a very more conventional, like, like they, if they think that something's wrong, they're going to go with that. And they're going to think that something's wrong. And so I had some spotting and they were like, well, we're going to induce you. I was 37 weeks. Well, we're going to induce you with a mechanical because we can't do Pitocin. We're going to induce you with mechanical, you know, balloon, they called it. And because we're racing against a placenta abruption now, which is a big deal. And so immediately I was thrust into like, what the heck is going on? I need to like, I was unable to, I didn't know how to manage, you know, that situation and ended up going to the other, we decided to just sign the papers and leave that hospital and go to the hospital that we had planned to birth at that had our midwives and other people there who actually had a completely different opinion. I stayed there for a couple days. We monitored the baby. Everything was fine. Um, and they were like, okay, you know, let's send you home. And if you have any cramping, any more spotting, let us know. But everything looks great. I went to MFM. I, you know, I checked all the boxes. But um, that's where I really started to see this heightened anxiety around everything. <laughs> um, that's when I stopped being able to manage it with like talking myself through it. 
And I, I remember, you know, we'd go to bed at night and I, my heart would start racing. And to me, it was just, oh, you know, we've had this big traumatic experience. And they told me I was about to lose my kid. She did say, if you walk out of here, I don't want you to come back in with a dead baby. Oh my and like, gosh. oh, her, like the language or Horrible. yeah, it was just, it was terrible. That's why event, we were like, we are getting out of this hospital. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, so the language was toxic. That was in my mind. Um, I was hypersensitive to like, is my child dying? Um, but I also wanted to trust, you know, my medical providers. So it was just like, you know, this back and forth. And so that's what I assumed was, you know, that's what I assumed was the cause of the anxiety, which it was. However, it was, there was more there, obviously it was my inability to manage it. So at night I would, you know, just get really anxious about everything and really worried. And my husband would have to kind of hold me and guide me through some deep breathing and we'd really had to do a lot of things to like bring me back into a calm state. Yeah. And so like, I mean, and not, you know, I, you say is your inability to manage it, but like at that point, it's like a brain chemistry thing taking over. It's not about like, your willpower or. Yes, true. Yeah. It's not about you like not being able to, you know, run that extra hundred meters or whatever. It's like serious brain chemistry things are acting, are in action yeah. here that have been being primed now for most of your life, but specifically the past like eight or nine months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, fast forward, I ended up having Stella. It was a wonderful unmedicated birth. It was a great experience, um, which I thought, okay, now my postpartum experience is going to be great. I didn't have a traumatic birth, which I think is important to note because, you know, uh, I think a lot of that gets blamed on how, what, how we manage and what is managed in the postpartum period. It's like, oh, we had postpartum depression. Oh, we had trouble breastfeeding. Well, that's that's because you had a C-section, um, you know, and like that, that, that's kind of the way that people justify things or like t convince themselves that that's why you're suffering. Right. They want to point the judgy something. way. Yes. Yeah. So I had a like not an ounce of medication, no Pitocin before or after nothing, had a vaginal birth. Um, all went great. Stella was very healthy. Stella nursed really well um, with a caveat of a few issues, but she was gaining weight. That's, that's, you know, what I want to say is that she was gaining weight. So I never had anxiety about my child is not gaining weight, which I, I'm thankful for. But um, so there was no big major issues per se. Um, but after, you know, the first day was great. Um, the, through the birth experience, I actually did not have any anxiety. Um, and after when we were in the hospital, I didn't have any anxiety. And I think it was because we were in the hospital. So I felt like I was in this kind of bubble. And once we left, we ended up taking Stella to the ER because she tested high for jaundice. And again, I was still trying to manage and cope. What was happening here is that I started to get less and less sleep. So I was in labor for days. Um, I had not slept more than a couple hours in a row. And I am very sensitive to lack of sleep. And so I was not getting any sleep. We ended up sleeping in this children's ER overnight on a couch. And I would just given birth. And, you know, here I am laying on this hard couch trying to sleep in hour increments with my kid hooked up to machines. And again, this is nothing what a lot of moms go through, especially NICU moms. But this is just setting up the scene. So, you know, I'm going through this situation. I go home and immediately I feel like just depleted. I am depleted emotionally, mentally, all the things. And I thought, okay, I've just got to, you know, do all the things that I typically do. I've got to make sure that I sleep and then I kind of talk myself through this and then I, you know, pray and all the things. And I, once 
we got home, I remember clearly at like two weeks postpartum, I just was Google searching because I felt so drained and I felt like really sad and almost just like, what did I just do to my life? And I think that some of these things are normal. So that's why I'm kind of going through them is a lot of these feelings, this exhaustion, this, I don't like, I don't know what I just did to my life. You look out the window and you see all these people just dancing around normally and you're like, why can't that be me? Um, we lived in downtown Philly at the time. So I was always seeing people walk their dogs and going back and forth from to bars and stuff like that. And they just seemed so happy. And I was like, you know, miserable inside with breast milk all over me. Um, and so that feeling I remember peaked at like two weeks postpartum. And I think I actually reached out to you, Claire. And I was like, when did you know that you were suffering? Um, and I reached out to a couple other friends who luckily reached out to me and said, you know, if you start, if this goes beyond, you know, the baby blues, like you need, please reach out to me. So I was thankful for that. I couldn't pinpoint what I was feeling. I felt terrified. I felt um, a lot of fear. I felt a lot of fear around her and her life. So I really feared her dying or myself dying. It really limited me in my ability to do things. So I was very scared to go out and do things. I was mostly scared because I didn't want to take her out and her to start screaming again. So Stella really struggled with reflux. She really struggled with, um, she was a very colicky baby, which I was too, but she was so colicky. She did not sleep. Um, she was a big struggle. She's a strong-willed, very determined, very like loud child and to this day is the same but much much more fun now um and so during the newborn I, you know I started kind of googling things like is it normal to hate the newborn phase and I never felt any ill will towards her I never felt sad that I had a child I just felt paralyzed that's the way that the best way that I could explain it is just I, I felt paralyzed and I felt trapped like how am I ever going to feel normal again? All I feel is worry and fear that something's going to happen to her, or something's going to happen to me, or something is going to happen to my husband, and I'm going to be left in this situation alone. So for uh, once I realized that something wasn't right, my husband went and traveled um, for like when she was like four weeks old, and I just basically sobbed through the entire night, and I texted him, and I tried to wake him up, and just to tell him, to, I, I told him to come home. He was in California, which is across the country from where I was in Philadelphia, and he he almost did. And I just felt so much guilt about telling him to come home. He was doing a, a really awesome trip with his company. And I felt so much guilt that I told him, please not come home. Um, I was in the middle of, I had, actually had to submit my, for the book, um, I had to submit the manuscript when she was six weeks postpartum. So that was a lot of pressure that I was feeling. And I just thought, okay, well, once the book's done, this is going to, what you know, once that's done, it's going to get better. So we submitted that. And it still sucked. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, once we get through the 12 week period, you know, and we just figure out what this reflux issue was, or we just get this tongue tie issue fixed, or we just, you know, she was in chiropractic care, in craniosacral therapy, you know, we, we, you know, I was doing everything I could do to try to make sure that she wasn't screaming all the time and could sleep. And it just never really got better. Um, I will say, and I've always said this, that there was a definite inverse relationship between my ability to get sleep and my anxiety. And I do believe that our circumstances, our mental and emotional circumstances can be affected by things pretty big in a pretty big way, like, um, like lack of sleep. But, you know, in certain situations, um, you can't, you can't sleep when you have a newborn. Um, right. Like that's one of the 
you know, basic things about little tiny babies. Like you <laughs> do not sleep through the night. That's sort of like the, one of the known facts. Right. And so, right, when people are like, well, you just have a lack of sleep. It's like, well, yeah. More. And I'm going to continue to have a lack of sleep. Right. Like in some nights I couldn't fix that. And it's not her fault. And I wouldn't blame her. But I would wake up and say, I don't want to do this day. I don't want to. I, I, I actually, there's only one time that I said this and it's still kind of it's gets me in the pit of my stomach. But my husband came over and he says, you know, you need to get up. I got to go to work. And I was like, I just want to die. And it was just something that I said. Um, and I didn't quite mean it. And he was like, no, you don't want to die. You need, I need, I, I'm going to help you in every way I can, but you need to get up. And so, you know, he helped me get up. Cause I, again, it was a terrible night. We hadn't slept that night. And so I kind of, I kind of wallow sometimes when, when I'm unhappy or I haven't had any sleep and I'm like, oh, this is the worst. And so like, I'd say things like that, or, you know, I'm just a little, um, I complain. I do. I complain but, to him. Yeah. But I also think the fact that he like, was like, no, 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 get up as opposed to like, oh, no, I'll stop being such a drama queen. Like, yeah. you know, kind of probably show that his reaction to the situation was like, this is something serious going on. This is not just you being like. Right. Reacting. <laughs> right. No, he knew he knew it was something serious. And I think yeah. a few days later, this was when she was four months old. So I was at my breaking point. Basically, yeah. this has been going on for too long. So she was four months old and she was going through that four month sleep regression thing. And we had gotten into this pattern of we literally would have to sit on this ball and bounce to get her to even think about sleeping. And so we were doing this bouncing my back. I had a very severe back issue. Um, and it had really, I have a, a herniated disc and it, it, it hits one of my nerve roots. And so I was feeling severe back pain. I had thrown it out. I was trying to sit on this ball and bounce her and hold her for hours and hours at a time. And I just lost it. And he called, you know, on a break from lunch to check in on me. And I was just sobbing and she was in my arms screaming. And I said, I'm not, I can't bounce. I can't bounce anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he's like, we need to get you help. So that day, I think in that moment, um, I made some decisions. I decided that I wasn't going to bounce anymore. Um, I decided that I wasn't going to like, in other words, break my back to try to manage this child. And that may seem like a selfish thing, but I decided that if she was going to cry, she was going to cry and I was going to hold her and process with her. But I, I wasn't going to keep spinning myself up trying to keep like, fo I was hundred percent focused on her and, and zero percent focused on me. And I realized that this, this was a disaster. So I, that night I, you know, me and my husband talked about it and I said, I can't, we're not bouncing anymore. We're not bouncing anymore. Like I can't, I can't do this. And it was really just a metaphor for, we, I have to, we have to make some changes. I, this is, I have limits where I, I'm not recognizing that. And I need to change the way that I'm doing everything. And postpartum anxiety and anxiety in general is caused by many things, right? It's a multifaceted thing. And so resolution with anxiety and postpartum anxiety in particular takes an, a, like a number of different things for healing. And so I think that, um, I do want to mention one of the quotes that I heard that I thought was a really, really great representation of postpartum anxiety is when you are, are mired within anxiety, you're in a constant state of overestimating the danger and underestimating your ability to cope with something if it did happen. So in other words, everything became like a worst case scenario. So if we were going to get in the car, I had these intrusive thoughts that we were going to get into this accident. 
if there was an article about a kid drowning or a kid swallowing a battery, I had these like intrusive thoughts of, oh my gosh, it's going to happen, you know, in my house or do I have a quarter laying around or gosh, what if the dogs drop a piece of food and then she chokes on that because of course the dog food was listed in that. And so it was just like every little thing became, I overestimated all the risks. And so that's, that was really the most paralyzing thing was just thinking that, you know, worrying about something, going to the internet, confirming my worry, seeing the worst case scenario happen for somebody else, and then thinking that it was going to happen for me. And so, you know, in that moment, I said, I, like, I, I see what's happening here. And he could too. Like he, my husband is really tends to my worries and my anxieties and, and is like, you know what, if you're worried about something, then we just won't do it. Like, it's not worth it. Uh, you know, and so he he's always been really helpful in that area. But he didn't know how to I mean, he's never had anxiety before. He's he knows how to help me, but he doesn't he's not a therapist. Like he doesn't know like how he helps me process things. But um, he's just he's never felt it. He doesn't know what, what exactly what I'm feeling. He can see it, but he can't feel it. And so I just in that moment decided, like, we've got to change things. Um, we've got to change the sleep situation and it's got to be better for me. Um, we've got to change what, what I'm responsible for. I can't be responsible for a lot. We've got to change, you know, the support that we're receiving. And so it really was a multifaceted thing, which I think we can go into in a little bit about how to actually like maybe our, our ways forward and what we chose to do. Um, but it was, you know, it was a number of different things. It was, it was physical, it was nutritional, it was mental, it was emotional, it was spiritual. Um, it was it was changing the way we did everything, basically, or the way I did everything. And that's how I had to move forward. Um, but before, I feel like maybe we can talk about how each of us dealt with it and, and maybe ways to deal with it if you feel like you struggle personally. Um, why don't you jump into kind of your health history, your yeah. story? Your, I would love to hear maybe a little bit more about your birth story and um and your your postpartum experience. Yeah. So I think one of the big things that you hit on um was that you know eventually got to the point where you just felt like you couldn't live your life. And right. that is something I definitely also experienced. So mine um going way way back, uh, I also have struggled with anxiety a lot of my life. It also runs in my family. I remember the very first time I ever felt anxiety, I was like 10 or 11 years old, my parents had just gotten divorced and I woke up my mom. I was like, mom, something is wrong. And she's like, well, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know. Just something is wrong. And I just had this feeling like, you know, I couldn't put it, put my finger on it, but kind of exactly what you're describing of like, something is going to happen and I'm not going to be able to deal with it. And I missed a lot of school because of panic attacks. I developed a legitimate mm. phobia of thunderstorms. Like if it was cloudy, I would start like hyperventilating and like <gasps> sobbing. Wow. Yeah. And this was fourth grade. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so I kind of grew out of that a little bit. And th that also stemmed a lot from the trauma I went through my, with my parents getting divorced and all that. And so kind of as I went through high school and college, my anxiety very much um, – manifested as just turning me into a super high achiever. I was like involved in everything. I got straight A's. I took, you know, all the credits you could take. I had two jobs in college, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I basically was just like a very high functioning ball of anxiety all the time. Mm. So that being said though, I 
also am not a super emotional person. Like I don't cry a lot. I don't feel things super deeply. And what I mean by that is like, I'm, my husband is a very, very sensitive guy. Very, very, um, emotive. Uh, like what do they call high, like, um, super high empathy, super high. What's yeah. that phrase? An like, empath. Empath. He's an yeah, empath. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And so for him, like he just feels things so deeply and mm. I am not like that at all. And so going into um, deciding to get pregnant, I got pregnant right away. We didn't have any complications. I, looking back now, which I can talk a little bit more about my current situation, but looking back now, completely took for granted the fact that I just had this really easy, <clears throat> super textbook pregnancy. I coached CrossFit until I was 37 weeks. I wow. worked out the whole time. I ate healthy. I did like two whole 30s while I was pregnant. Like I was killing it in my mind. <laughs> were. Right? I was like. No, you, you were. Hashtag healthy. Hashtag fit pregnancy. Yeah. Full blown. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I. And, and at that time, I had complete and total trust over my body because I was like, this is going exactly the way I want it to go. And that is how I like things. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. I was going to, again, same, you know, same kind of thing. I was going to have a natural birth in the hospital with some midwives. And I had been working out and eating all the things and drinking all the teas and bouncing on the ball and walking with my foot up on one curb and my other foot on the other curb. And, like, <laughs> the I, funny my, thing is I know exactly what you're talking I about. I know. Everybody yeah. is like ever try to put themselves into labor is like, I did that. <laughs> And I was going to have a fast labor. And like, because my pregnancy had gone exactly the way that I had planned it, I just assumed my labor also would. So looking back, at probably about 37, 38 weeks, I started to really freak out. And kind of, oh, I remember what it was. And this might be TMI, but the first day that I ever noticed that my breasts were leaking, I flipped out and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. Like this is the, that was kind of the first thing that surprised me about the whole process where I was like, this isn't supposed to happen yet. Like what the hell's going on? Like, does this mean I'm going into labor? What's going on? And at the time, like my mom was living out of the state. And I was really panicked that, you know, I was going to go into labor and she wasn't going to be there. And my doula was like in school and she was taking finals and I was freaked out about that and, or midterms. And, and so I basically kind of worked myself up into thinking like this, I'm going to go into labor and no one's going to be there. And that then worked myself up into like, what if I don't want to, what if I don't like being a mom? And so Mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks of being pregnant, I was just like really had all of this really panic about like, what if I don't like being a mom? And I can't, you know, I can't turn back now. And I think like that experience of my breast leaking made me realize like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And, you know, there's going to be things that are out of my control and like, there's no turning back. And so I kind of, you know, I dealt with that just by like talking to friends and um, talking to some friends who have young kids and they all kind of assured me like, you know, it's normal to feel that way. It's normal to be freaked out. Um, You're about to start this huge new chapter and you have no idea what it's going to look like. And, you know, those last couple weeks of being pregnant are so hard because like on the one hand, especially for your first time, on the one hand, you're so exhausted and done being pregnant and just ready to get the show on the road. But on the other hand, you have no idea what's about to happen. 
And I just remember telling people like, you know, when I first got pregnant, kind of the thought of giving birth freaked me out. But by the time you're 40 weeks, you're like, I don't care where this baby has to come out of, like, just get it out. And so I kind of had that mentality, but then also mixed with like, what am, what am I doing? What have I gotten myself into? And so I went to 40 weeks and wasn't, you know, no signs of imminent labor whatsoever. And my uh, midwife scheduled me for an induction at like 41 weeks, four days. And that freaked me out. I really, really, really did not want to get induced. I had like, you know, watched the business of being born or whatever. And I like had these horrible preconceptions about Pitocin and I just didn't want to have to be induced at all. And so I just started doing everything I could. I ended up doing, taking castor oil and that kind of kicked me into labor. And I, so I went into labor, um, on my own at about like a couple days before 41 weeks. And I was pretty ready. I, you know, at, at that point, I, my anxiety and my panic had kind of calmed down and I, I had pretty much transferred that anxiety and panic about, am, you know, am I going to hate being a mom into, I don't want to be induced. And so I sort of put right, all my energy right. into this, like, I don't want to have to be induced. And mm-hmm. so because I had finally gone into labor, it was like, okay, let's just focus on this. And I remember I went into labor on, at like midnight on October 24th. And I remember thinking like, October 24th is going to be my baby's birthday. This is great. That is not his birthday. (laughs) (laughs) I was in labor for a very long time. And so I went into labor at midnight, didn't sleep, you know, obviously didn't sleep. Finally, the next day at about 8 p.m., I'd been in labor all day long and I was just starting to get really tired and my contractions were kind of like, like coming and going, but they were pretty consistent about five to six minutes apart. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go in and get checked. And I go in and get checked and I, I'm at zero and oh, I was no. devastated. And they were like, well, and the nurse was terrible. She was like, this is not real labor. Um, you need to go home. And I was like, F you, this is real labor. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> you know, this hurts. This is bad. I, if this isn't real labor, I don't want to go into labor. <laughs> like this is what it is. And so I looked her in the eye and I said, I'm not leaving here without a baby. What are my other options? And she kind of was like, okay, crazy lady, whatever you want to do. And she was like, well, you can walk the halls for two hours or an hour and we'll come back and check you again. So I walked the halls and it was excruciating. His head was sitting on top of my pubic bone. Mm -hmm. And so every time I would have a contraction, it was just bone on bone. And I was just so miserable. And I think like, Looking back, that was really the point where sort of like the dark night of the soul of my labor started was just being in so much pain and being told you're not really in labor. And Mm -hmm. that's really where it was like, I've been told this whole time that my body is going to know what to do. And now it's going off the rails. And so she goes back, I go back, she checks me again, still nothing. And she's like, okay, well, here's what we can do. We can give you a shot of morphine. And what that will do is it will end this false labor which, and you'll get some sleep. And then when you wake up in the morning, um, you know, like we'll kind of keep you in this triage situation. We're not going to fully admit you. But when you wake up in the morning, we'll kind of assess what we want to do. So they give me the morphine 
and it doesn't do anything. I'm, I, it knocks me out for maybe like 10 minutes and then I wake back up because I'm having contractions. And the nurse is like, oh, well, she goes, comes in, she's like, you're supposed to be asleep. And I was like, yeah, I'm in labor, lady. Like, so finally (laughs) they were like, okay, well, maybe you are really in labor. Anyway, labor the whole rest of the night. Next morning comes. And so by this point at about midnight, I got in the hospital at eight. At about midnight, they finally admitted me. Labored all night. Next morning comes, 7 a.m. I'm still at zero. And my contractions were getting stronger and closer together, but I just was not dilating. Mm. And so I'm finally like, listen, I had always joked that, you know, I'm not going to be that crazy lady who's in labor for 30 hours and still won't take the drugs. But I never thought that that would actually be the situation (laughs) I would find myself in. But sure enough, going on 31 hours and I am, you know, not even close. Mm. And so I get an epidural and it was glorious. And (laughs) I sleep for about, and they put me on Pitocin. And I was like, at that point, I was just so exhausted that I didn't even care. And my doula, who was amazing, um, who had come to the hospital around the time that I was admitted and was really like the only reason I got through that night, she basically was like, listen, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that if you wanted to keep going, you could, but I just don't think that that's what you, you know, you don't need to do that. Like you don't need to prove anything. Right. And so I, they put me on Pitocin and this is just like a fun side note. The monitor of the Pitocin, the nurse had it like zoomed out, uh, the little graph that shows your contractions. So it looked like I was having these tiny little contractions. So she just kept pumping up my Pitocin. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I can feel these. And she was like, really? And she zoomed in and was like, oh. So I was having (gasps) these like off the charts contractions. And finally about literally only three and a half or so hours later, I was like, I think I need to push. So in... Three and a half hours, I had, on, once I got on Pitocin, I went from zero to 10. Wow. And now I, this is just a, another kind of side note. After having discussed that experience with a couple of different practitioners, we're pretty sure what happened is I had previously had a leap, which is like something that you get um, if you have high-grade abnormal cells on your cervix. It's sort of like having a mole removed, but they just, they like take this little electrified loop and burn off the front, basically layer of your cervix to get rid of those cells. And it causes or can cause scar tissue. And so what they think was happening was that that scar tissue was just preventing me from um, dilating. Oh gosh. Wow. So all of this, so I finally um, started pushing pushed for about an hour and a half and my water had broken at some point during that. And it was totally clear, totally fine. But when Miles was born, he came out in a startling display of meconium, Hmm. just like poop everywhere and his poop, not mine. Although I did poop on the table. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. It happens. It happens. It was, we've all done it. It was super, not a big deal. (laughs) Nope. Actually, it's like encouraged. Like, yeah. Oh, great job. Good job. You're you must pushing be pushing correctly. really hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're like, I just don't want to poop, just let that go. It's okay. <laughs> so um, he came out in this just startling, stunning display of meconium. And in the last few minutes or maybe 20 minutes or so that I had been pushing, my heart rate was super, super high. His heart rate was super, super high. Mm-hmm. I was developing a fever and I was completely out of it. And so slowly, one by one, the midwife starts calling more and more people into the room. 
the NICU team comes in, the like crash team comes in basically. Like I think I was probably minutes away from being wheeled into an emergency C-section, but I had no idea because I was completely out of it. Mm. But what I do know is that when he was born, the room was so full of people and I didn't, you know, I, I basically had no idea what was going on because I was making no sense. So they sort of had stopped consulting me. And I, I'm not going to talk to her anymore. Yeah, like she's well, because at one point the the midwife had said like, "Hey, your heart rate's really high." It was at like 180 or something ridiculous, and wow. and I told her, "No, no, that's normal." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "I have because I that's I, nothing." Well, because I do have a high resting heart rate, like high ish, yeah. like 80 or 90, and I was like, "No, no, I have a high resting heart rate. That's normal." And she was like, "Yeah, okay, we're not talking to you anymore." <laughs> <laughs> and like arguing with her, trying to tell her that like an almost 200 beats per minute heart rate is like totally fine. <laughs> so he was born and I don't remember almost anything. I don't remember holding him. I don't remember. There are pictures of me holding him. And so I know it happened, but I don't remember it. The, the biggest thing I remember is that they had him on the other side of the room and I couldn't see him. And I was saying, can you move? Can I see him? Can you move? Can I see him? And I had an oxygen mask on. And so no one could hear me. And I just remember feeling like completely invisible Mm -hmm. and like, I have no idea what's going on. You know, where's my baby? What just happened? And so he ended up going to having to go to the NICU because he was having some trouble breathing and they thought that he might've aspirated meconium. My husband goes with him and I am just left alone to like get stitches. Mm -hmm. And I am completely still like practically delirious. I go and visit him in the NICU and pretty quickly they're like, listen, you need to go to your room and go get some rest. That first night, so he ended up being born around noon, probably by about three, I actually was able to see him. And by about five or six, they were like, you need to go to your room and go to bed. So that whole first night in the hospital, he was in the NICU. I was in my room. It was like, what just happened? Where is this baby that we supposedly came here to have? You know, on the one hand, it was nice because I got a full night of sleep that night, but like it just was so disorienting. And, you know, so he quickly got discharged from the NICU. Even the NICU doctor, when he discharged him, was like, there's really no reason he ever should have had to be in here. Like, you know, he just, he did not aspirate meconium. He didn't have an infection. He just had a little bit of trouble at the beginning getting started breathing. But because it had been such like an intense last few minutes of labor, they just sort of assumed the worst. And I think because I had a midwife in the hospital, I had assumed that I would be sort of immune from those hospital things that are bound to happen where, you know, because of their malpractice insurance, they have to do things a certain way. And I fully credit my midwife for me not having a C-section. I think that if I had had an OB, I would have absolutely ended up with a C-section, which is not a bad thing. Let's get that out of the way having a C-section is fine. Um, I really, really did not want one. And I'm grateful that I was able to go as far, like that they let me try as long as they did. And that ultimately I was able to push him out. Um, but so he can't, he got out of the NICU. He like latched right away. Everything was fine. Um, when we went home, when I was in labor, his head, when I was pushing him out, his head was so big and to this day is off the charts that my um, pubic symphysis had um, separated, which is 
somewhat normal. Like that's why there's a little piece of cartilage there. It's sort of meant to do that. Mm -hmm. But when it came back together, it overlapped. And so it was like that for about two weeks or so. So I could barely walk. When we first got home, we lived in a second floor apartment that didn't have an elevator. And I, it took me like almost a half hour to walk up the stairs. And so the first two weeks were just a complete blur. Mm-hmm. I was in a ton of pain. Miles was fine, but he, my milk took a while to come in. And so I had to feed him every two hours. Um, he was sleeping in the bed with us and like this little co-sleeper thing. And I just remember feeling like this is not what it, this is not how it's supposed to be. And it was like, I vividly remember thinking multiple times, this baby is so cute. I never want anything to happen to him, but when is his mom going to come get him? Right. Like I had no connection with him. Hmm. And I think for me, that was the biggest red flag looking back. And I think, you know, it is the thing I think that's so hard about postpartum mood disorders is that your life is completely turned upside down. You don't know what day it is. You don't know what time it is. How are you supposed to know if what you're feeling is normal? Yeah. And one of the things that I say now, anytime a friend has a new baby is I'll send them a message. It's like, Hey, congratulations. I'm so, you know, I really hope you guys are doing great. I know that this is not the most fun message to get, but I just want to put it out there. Like you're going to feel crazy. You're going to feel like your life got turned upside down. But if you start to feel like you can't handle it, that's not normal. And it's normal to have those moments, but it's not normal to have entire days or weeks where the, where like the number one thought in your mind is I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Or I don't want to do this anymore. Or I can't handle this where it just completely feels out of your control It's not supposed to be that way and it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that's the biggest thing is like in this kind of culture that we all have of doing the most with the fewest resources and like getting your ribbon for, you know, soldiering through. Right. You don't want to be the person who's like, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And, but you're not doing yourself any favor by just continuing to push through. But because I had built that up as my MO, like, you know, going back all the way to my high functioning anxiety, like overachiever. Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, I was like, nope, I have to do this. Like, this is my job now. I took this on. I should have known what I was getting myself into, but I was miserable. I, even in those first couple of weeks, you know, when you're supposedly having the baby blues, I was, I remember just thinking to myself, this is not normal. These are not, this is, this feels like more than the baby blues. I'm not just like emotionally unpredictable. I am devastated. You know, it's not. So you, so you had that almost that recognition fairly early on, like almost immediately. And, but I think that I just talked myself out. I did. I completely talked myself out of it. Hmm. And I think a lot of women who, I, I know a lot of women who I've talked to who had postpartum depression have said, if you had, looking back now, this started immediately or even before I gave birth. And I think that those really high intensity episodes of anxiety and panic that I had prior to him being born were very much precursors to the postpartum depression that I had developed. But I think the other big thing was that I had felt anxiety. I was very familiar with it, but I had never felt depression. Hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of just the other side of the coin, you know, where anxiety is a heightened sense of everything. Depression is just you almost don't feel anything. And I remember, like I said, just 
I had no connection with him. I, again, didn't want anything bad to happen to him. And I hate that I even have to say that because I, I feel like there is such a stigma around like, you know, postpartum depression, you like drowned your babies. Right. That's postpartum psychosis, which is real. And is it also a mental, very serious mental health problem. But most women do not experience to that degree. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, very, very early on, I just remember thinking like, this is not normal, but I just didn't know. And no one around me knew, no one around me knew what to look for. No one around me knew to say like, Hey, you know, you should want to hold your baby. And when I was telling people like, I don't want to hold him. They were like, yeah, we know it's tiring. And it was like, no, no, I'm not tired of holding him. I don't want to hold him. Do you feel like that was a semi like cry for help? Like, I don't want to hold my baby. Like you're trying to get people to notice that you were, you were kind of feeling abnormal. I think so. And I think also that was my way of kind of being like, is this abnormal? Like I, I truly didn't know it. You know, it wasn't like I didn't know how to ask for help. It was that I didn't even know if I, that I needed help. And there were a couple of incidents where like at one point, probably at three or four weeks postpartum, um, somebody came over to watch Miles and I was just going to go to the coffee shop and I go to the coffee shop and we lived in a college town at the time and it was finals week. And so the coffee shop was completely packed and there was nowhere for me to sit. And I couldn't leave the house after that for like four days. It took me so long to just get over that of like, I tried to go out. I couldn't do it. My life is going to always be like this. I'm always just going to be miserable. You know, I can't even look at me. Like I can't even go to the coffee shop. Yep. So I got to the point at probably about four weeks. No, probably like six or seven weeks. I went to my six week appointment and I, again, you know, that stupid questionnaire scored off the charts and my midwife was nice, but she kind of didn't really follow up. She was like, so, you know, I think it'd be good for you to go to go start talking to a therapist, but that's like telling somebody who's blind, like, I think it'd be a good idea for you to get some glasses. It was like, Mm -hmm. or like, Hey, I think it'd be a good idea for you to just go learn how to speak Chinese. You know, like it was like her telling me this impossible task that I had no resources for. Right. And I came home and was like, didn't call a therapist. And within about a week was having suicidal thoughts. And that was finally where I got to the point where I was like, I may not know any about anything about what else has happened in the last six or seven weeks, but I know I should not want to die. Yeah. And looking back on that, I'm so mad. And maybe mad is not the right word, but just like so disappointed that I had to get to that point before I was able to recognize that like this is a problem because I had been feeling that since day one. And it makes me mad that I didn't have you know, a practitioner in my life who recognized it sooner or that there aren't systems in place for postpartum women to actually support us mm-hmm. just for somebody to come in to our home or have us come in, you know, with in less than six weeks and say, Hey, really, how are you doing? And, you know, the thing that is crazy to me is like postpartum depression and anxiety is significantly more common than gestational about diabetes. We all get screened for gestational diabetes. We all know what it is. We all know the signs and symptoms. And yet we are given none of the same resources for postpartum mood disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, at about eight weeks, I started seeking out treatment 
um, at about 12 weeks, I started an intensive 12-week outpatient therapy program. I was really, really lucky at the time. My husband was working in mental health at a, at a children's hospital, at Children's Hospital Colorado, and they have a really great postpartum depression um, therapy program, and I was able to get into it, get into that. And so I did go through some pretty like serious specific treatment for it. I was on, um, oh gosh, the one that you, the, whatever the med is that you can take when you're Zofran. Zofran? No, that's the, that's the nausea one. <laughs> Wait, I, that Zoloft. does sound right. Zoloft. Zoloft. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Zofran <laughs> like, is what they give you when you're, word. yeah. Zofran is what they give you when you are nauseous. <laughs> Zoloft mm-hmm. is what they give you when you're depressed. Um, <laughs> subtle, but important <laughs> difference. Both related. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on Zoloft for a little while. I personally hated it. So I wasn't on for super long because it just made me feel crazy, like a zombie. But um, yeah. So so uh, what was the first step? So you said like your midwife told you to find a therapist or go see a therapist. Like when you got to the point where you're like, I need to see a therapist. How? What was that process like? Did you have to go to your primary care and get referred to a therapist? Or were you able, did you just do some research and say like therapists, postpartum depression? What was that process? Yeah. So for me, I was really lucky because like I said, my husband was working in mental health at the time. And so he had um, resources. resources. And then also Joy, who, as you know, and probably some of your listeners know, are yeah. the podcast with, she's a therapist. She's a um, licensed social worker, but she works as a therapist. And, um, I was just really, really lucky that a lot of people close in my life, first of all, totally believed me, totally did not at any point make me feel like I was at fault or that I was not doing everything I could. Or, you know, I think at one point I really freaked my husband out because he came home and he had a, um, straight razor, like a shaving straight razor. And he came home from work and he was working shifts also. So he'd be gone for 12 hours at a time. And he came home one day and I was just sitting there with this like blank expression on my face. And he was like, you know, what do you need me to do? And I said, I just need you to hide your razor. And I think that scared the crap out of him. (laughs) (laughs) And he was so great about it at that moment. He was like, okay. And, you know, but I think that that made him realize like, wow, okay. Like shit just got real. Right. And, yeah. Like, okay. and I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that I had the, like, the presence of thought to even ask him to do that. But I, anyway, so I, it started with, I just reached out directly to this program. Um, I ended up having sort of like a phone interview with the person and was really, really lucky to get a spot in the next upcoming program. Um, because for some people, the, there was like a long wait list and it was like, what's the point of me signing up for a program that I have a 12 week wait list for? Like, I don't need help yeah. in 12 weeks. I need help right. 12 weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but I think I don't remember if I had to get an actual referral or if that sort of interview served as my referral because we had health insurance, like the health insurance we were on was actually provided by the hospital where I would be receiving treatment. So we Hmm. were like next level in network. Um, but I wish that I had told my, that I had pushed a little bit more on my midwife and said, you know, right. What do you mean by go find a therapist? Like, how do I do that? 
Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest problem is that when you are suffering, you're kind of left to the internet or, you know, left to just, it's like one more thing to do. And when you're suffering from anxiety or depression, it's, that's not like, oh, let me set aside time to really research and try to figure out exactly what I need to do to get help when you're yeah. literally in your deepest, darkest moments of right. needing help. You're not even and so, like bathing or feeding yourself. How are you going to like go online and find right. like a reputable postpartum? Yeah. Right therapist. <laughs> yeah, and that and and like the people who are screening you don't quite know what to do with it either. They haven't been trained in it, nor do they really even have like they don't know what to do next. And it's kind of it's the whole process is just so silly to me. It's like this pediatrician that's really there to see your kid right. is like trying to screen you, and then you get one screening with an adult that delivered your baby potentially. Right. You know, at six weeks postpartum. And if you check off and do fine, that's it. That is it. There is no more after that. Yeah. And so I've always said, and this is kind of something I've been saying in this, the series that I'm doing on my podcast, which is like, you know, we have these like four week birthing classes, four, count them four for like something that's only going to last a couple days. Right. We get, you know, breastfeeding classes. My birth center did a first day's homes, you know, class about how to, you know, look for everything about taking care of your baby, you know, the, the, how to count wet diapers and dirty diapers and what that looks like. You know, we got hours and hours and hours of classes on that. If you would have just had one class, didn't have to be a four part series. (laughs) If you had one class, that was like, this is what postpartum mood disorders look like. This is the steps you need to take. Here are some resources. Here, you know how we get pamphlets and books yeah, full right. of here's just rest a number for, to call. support groups. Yeah, here's a number. Here's some good therapists that specialize in this. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to train your partners and give them some information about what to look for, what's not normal, what's totally. normal, and what's not normal. Like, wouldn't that not have been just so incredible? And I, I you know, I had these, I had booklets of breastfeeding support groups. And I had nothing to help me navigate this other than the internet, which can be sort of terrifying. And right. it also feels very limiting. Yeah. Um, and I, th- and so, like, yeah. yeah. And it, right. Had somebody just said, here's a questionnaire for your husband to ask you at, yeah. you know, three weeks postpartum, like by now the baby blue should have started to subside. Here's some questions that are in real English as opposed to like that weird, you know, rate on a scale from one to five, how much sleep you're getting (laughs) worksheet, you know, that are like, do you feel like yourself? Do you feel like, you know, you want to like, are you excited? Do you feel connected to your baby? And I, yeah, it, it just is so crazy and infuriating to me that that does not exist. Right. And I think that one of the things that women need is just to have a like an easy place to go. And so one of the things that I I've started to encourage women to do basically just through my podcast platform, I haven't done this in a formal capacity. uh, One of the things that I've started to do is encourage women to find some like be established with a trusted practitioner. So whether that's like a nurse practitioner as your primary care doctor, whether that's your midwife, have the conversation before you have the baby, like in your 36 week appointment or your 37 week appointment, say, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have postpartum depression or anxiety, but what does that look like? And then what do I do? What do I do when I'm sitting there and I think that I might be suffering from that? Do I call you? 
Is that what I, and then you would maybe write me a referral to a therapist. Do you have any therapists that you recommend? You know, like that, we need to have that conversation. And so because it's not being had, you know, women, I would, you know, (laughs) charge you forward and say, have the, you know, have like demand that conversation and demand some resources and say, you know, if you don't have a a write-up, a pamphlet with, some some therapists or some support groups for postpartum depression anxiety why don't you work on that and give that to everybody who comes in and put it in the little binder that you give everybody about their birth you know what to expect from birth um because if we were having those conversations earlier then i think you know then i would have known what to do i think i think i was just so deeply in it that i just it was like well i've just got to get through it um as opposed to being like, these are the steps that I need to take. And you were so like, that's such a great situation. You had people around you. And I know that a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't, you know, um, a lot of people don't have people who are therapists. A lot of people think therapy is taboo still totally. in this I, day and age. And I feel lucky even that I just, that I have a very sensitive husband who, who could look at me and say, you're right. Something is wrong. As opposed to, you know, I think a lot of people have partners. Yeah, not even snap out of it, but just like they don't, you know, he was at the time working in mental health, as I've said. So he knew what to do around someone who was feeling that way. I think most partners and myself included, if he had said a similar thing to me, would have just either freaked out or completely shut down and been like, I don't know what to do here. You know, and it then becomes about them also not having the resources and the experience and right. the, the know how, because it is just as important and if not more important for the partner to know what to do. Because by the time you're at that point, likely you are beyond the point that you can really help yourself in the immediate term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, totally agree. Yeah. So, talk a little bit more about the stuff that you that you guys did. Cause for me, it was a pretty clinical traditional approach and it ended up helping out. I think one of the things that was hard was that because I had never experienced anything like that before, I literally didn't even have words for it. Like I would, mm. my therapist would say, um, you know, how are you feeling? And I would have to say, well, you know, I'm feeling the feeling I have is like when this happens, I couldn't mm. say like, Oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'd be like, the feeling I feel yeah. is like when, you know, and so I finally, so in that way, the the more kind of traditional therapy approach really helped. And I think also I was at a pretty severe point. Like I said, like I'm mad that I had to get to the point where I was like, yeah, I literally don't want to live. There's so many, there were so many moments prior to that moment where someone could have said, hey, what you're feeling is not normal. You're not supposed, you know, you, it doesn't have to be this way. And I think that that, term it doesn't have to be this way I love it because instead of saying it's not supposed to be this way or it's not you know this is wrong or that it's like this is well within the scope of what many many women experience but it doesn't have to be this way yeah yeah I completely agree and um so so we had the moment I had the moment and I think what I really realized was what I was doing was 100% focused on her, not at all focused on me in terms of like, I was I was carrying on in a way that was, I am limitless, um, where in fact, I am very limited. Um, and the only person who isn't is God and trying to be that 
I am not God. Um, so I had to first recognize that and say, like, whoa, I have limits. My daughter is going to be taken care of, but I have got to step away from this perfectionist, you know, got to control everything with their every situation has to be perfect. Because what I was doing was if something worked for her, but it wasn't exactly according to what the American Pediatrics Association said. So if she slept really well in the rock and play, which she did, it wasn't an approved sleep surface. So then I would research, was anybody, you know, anybody's kid died from sleeping in a rock and play. And, you know, so I would, I would just freak out about all these little things. And, um, I really decided right there, like I have to let this go. And I, I really was at such a point of desperation that I didn't have any other options. And so I, I did, I had, I had reached rock bottom and I decided I've, I'm going to stop you know, confirming all this stuff on the internet, I'm going to be more present, I'm going to start making decisions that recognize my limitations, and start putting myself first, specifically my sleep. And I and I think that, you know, you and I have talked about this, but it's unfortunate, because in the holistic health world, a lot of this is put on um, things that you can control, like nutrition and exercise. And nutrition and exercise plays a big part. And it's part of the solution. It is not, it's a, it's a piece of the puzzle. It is not everything. And so I've, I've read a lot of interesting information about how high homocysteine levels, in other words, you know, high inflammatory markers can create and, and is somehow correlated with postpartum depression and, and lack of folate or B vitamins or an inability to methylate, uh, folic acid into folate, for example, that could lead to high homocysteine levels. And so, you know, when women aren't eating enough leafy greens, like this could all kind of tumble. And I think that it's like nutrition is important, right? right? I even had someone once who was like, I've never known somebody to have real postpartum depression who wasn't a vegan. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> but it's an interesting correlation yeah. that you've made. Right, right. So, and we see and we try to I think it's a protective mechanism. It's, oh, well, they're a vegan and I'm not. Or, oh, they're not, you know, they eat gluten and I don't. So that's probably why they, they're suffering. And so it's a, it's a, we try to rationalize and, and try to figure out how we're not going to suffer from the same thing or some, we have to create some, we have to have a reason, yeah. you know, so we have to, we, in our minds, we have to rationalize why they're dealing with it and we're not, we're never going to. Right. And, and I, so, I, yeah. I think that can be, one of the things that um, we I had talked a lot about when I went through that treatment program was like, you know, yeah, sleep or poor nutrition or lack of exercise or whatever may be contributing to this, but that doesn't make this not real. Like, right. Okay, yes, you may, this may be worse because you're not getting sleep, but guess what? You not getting sleep is part of your reality, and that doesn't make what you're feeling invalid or not real. And I think you know, just because you can explain it doesn't mean it's not there and doesn't mean it's not affecting you. And just because yes. you can point to something and say like, well, it's, you know, it's the same thing. Let's use a very common example of like a gluten allergy or, in or intolerance. Just because yeah. you can point to this and say, I, this is caused by me eating gluten. Well, just because you can explain it doesn't mean you don't still have to treat it. Right. And right. when I was in, did my postpartum uh, group that I was in, all, every single woman in there had a story and some of them were really, really horrible, like horrible situations of abuse or abandonment or, you know, multiple child loss and things like that. And I felt the first couple of times, like I, I was sitting there being like, I don't have to deal with any of this. My partner could not be more supportive. I had the easiest textbook pregnancy. I had, you know, my child is healthy, all mm -hmm. these things. 
And it kind of, for me, that was a moment where I actually was able to flip that around and say, what that actually means is that it can affect anyone and you don't have to have, whether it's anxiety or depression or postpartum, you know, even psychosis or trauma, you don't have to have a certain prescription of circumstances. Everything up to that point could have gone exactly the way you wanted it to. It doesn't matter. It is, it does not discriminate. You don't, you don't have to pre-qualify to have (laughs) these symptoms and to have to go through this. Right. And you could be eating all the right things and still suffer from postpartum depression and anxiety. Yeah. And you could have a night nurse or you could, you know, have whatever, like you could be getting enough sleep. You could be eating all the right things. You could be going back to exercise the minute you're, you're, you know, you can, and yet it wouldn't matter. Right. Yeah. It might help, but that wouldn't change your brain chemistry. You know, it wouldn't prevent it. Right. Right. And that's, and that's exactly the reason that, you know, I'm always, One of the places that I went was um, postpartum.net, which I will link to in my show notes. Um, I can't speak for what Claire does, but um, (laughs) I'm sure they will. Um, But (laughs) postpartum.net is a really great place. And one of the things that I saw was like an approach to healing has to include multiple things because multiple things cause these issues. And so nutrition is part of the healing process, but it's one of many of the pegs, one of the six pegs. And so uh, the six things that they have there, I think are really, really foundational to healing. And that's kind of the approach that I took. So first and foremost, mental, you know, that would be working with a therapist. I didn't do this personally. I wish I would have. Um, And I plan to try to find a therapist before I have another kid to have a more established relationship with. but uh, working with a therapist, using cognitive behavioral therapy. So I did do a lot of that. I had to, I'm kind of, you know, pr- I process things, um, you know, write things out. I would actually write. I, I spent quite a few afternoons of like, not afternoons, it'd be a nighttime. And I would just do it for like five or 10 minutes. I can't remember how long, but it was like, I'd write out everything, all the fears that were spinning in my head, all my worries. And I'd write them out and writing them out almost helped me. It's a, it's a form of exposure therapy. Um, but it's just, it, it allows you not to have to spin and think about them anymore. And so I, I would write them all out and I would, then I would run it through the shredder and it was gone. And so I felt like that was actually helping me mentally process and re or like get those thoughts out. And as I was writing them, I could actually see how crazy they were. Like, this is not going to happen. What are you talking? Like we were going on a trip to Mexico and I was, you can imagine all the things wrong that could go on, happen on a trip to Mexico. And I'm like, what in, like, I can't believe this is spinning in my head. And and I've been not, you know, recognizing it. I've almost been passively letting it spin in my head. So mental, of course, I think that's primary. That's has to take the the primary, uh, you know, aim, um, nutrition, you know, I do think inflammation has a big role. I do think um, homocysteine has a big role. I think taking a prenatal, making sure, I, I think iron has a role. So just, you know, all the things that I typically recommend, grass-fed meats, um, omega-3 fatty acids, anti-inflammatory foods. If you have a sensitivity, stop, you know, eating that food. Right. But I didn't, I mean, I was still eating, I was trying to make sure I was eating a lot of carbohydrate. Um, if I needed quick energy, I would eat like fruit snacks, like, you know, I would, right. I wasn't like eating a perfect diet, but I was eating healthful foods, but making sure that I was fed. Think yeah. First well, and, and also like if you're breastfeeding, that brings a whole other, like oh, gosh. huge dimension into your nutrition, which yeah. would be a whole other podcast series. Yes. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> I wasn't, I, I invested a lot of money in 
making sure that I had a lot of food in the house that yeah. was easy to eat, like quick to get to. Um, so I'm, and then, you know, we <laughs> devoted a lot of finances towards that area. Um, physical. So I tried to get out and walk sunshine, vitamin D. It was the summertime, which I think did help. I did, you know, I think vitamin D plays a huge role. Yeah. Um, and then sleep. I just had to decide that if my kid cried and I was laying there with her because I, I didn't want to just put her in the crib and let her go and, and cry. But we had to really work through some big emotions. Um, she was just a screamer. And I think she had to process a lot. And I stopped saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to try to help her drift asleep peacefully. Like I, I was done with it. Yeah. Um, and so I would hold her. I would let her cry. She would fall asleep in my arms. I would transfer to her crib. If she cried a little bit, I would lay there with her, but I, I didn't pick her up. And it was just, we were getting into that cycle of this is where you sleep. This is how you fall asleep. Like, you know, I was teaching her and if she cried and I was there to support her, I was okay with that because that was for some reason, a big trigger for me was like, you know, I didn't, I couldn't. I didn't want to think about her being helpless um, mm. and I didn't want her to feel abandoned. And so that, you know, I had to move forward with that and say, I'm, I'm going to prioritize my sleep here because it's obviously affecting our entire <laughs> wholeness and wholeness. And I think, um, yeah, there's so many things, I mean, around whatever it is, sleep is a huge trigger, I think, for a lot of people. So because, much shame. Oh my gosh. There's so, and people are like, oh my gosh, you're doing cry it out. How could you yeah. do that? Oh my gosh, you're holding your baby till they fall asleep. They're never going to self-soothe. Like you literally right. cannot win. It was paralyzing. It was absolutely paralyzing. I felt like I kept make I would and I would um, Marco Polo. I do Marco Polos. I'd Marco Polo like all my friends. Like, what'd you do? What'd you do? What What should I do? Like, I just felt like I was in this between this rock and this hard place of well, to get her to sleep, she's gonna have to cry. But you know, well, should I stop her from crying? But stopping her from crying may be stopping her emotions. And so, like, it was just like all these different <laughs> sides. I really felt I like know. I could never win. I think so the I only reason I'm like, laughing is because I know that they thought whirlpool <laughs> where you're yes. where, and like I to this day have it at three years old where I'm like, do I do I hold this boundary? I'm exhausted, or like yes. do I just like give in, or is he gonna like become a drug dealer because I like didn't <laughs> hold my boundaries when he was three years old? <laughs> It doesn't oh end. <laughs> oh, great. Good to know. Um, <laughs> but I just had to like pick a path and do it. And I have to credit my husband for that because he said, we're going to pick something and we're going to do it. And sometimes I would let him choose because I was so paralyzed. He's like, I'm doing this. Like he would just, you know, take charge. Right. Um, so that's physical. Emotional is just practicing self-awareness and just not stuffing feelings, making sure that I was experiencing them, making sure that I was like expressing them to my husband. Um, social, this was a big thing for me. Um, I didn't have any social connections. I didn't, we were in a totally new city. I didn't have a church. I wasn't part of a small group. I wasn't part of a CrossFit gym. I wasn't part of any sort of community organization. I knew one person um, who worked with my husband, who was a friend of my husband's. And so we had, I had zero social support in terms of people being able to bring us meals, um, people being able just to come over and like hold my baby while I went and took a shower. I had zero support. I had nobody to come over and watch her. Um, and so I, that's going to be another thing that I do differently, but you know, having trusted people around you that you can call in your darkest moments and say, can you come over and be with me? Or can you come over and hold my child? Or can you come over and just, you know, you know, bring me a meal or something? Um, and then spiritual, which I did mention that before, but you know, at a, at a point, you know, if I, I had to recognize like, okay, I believe in God, I believe in his promises. Um, but I'm not act like I had shoved all of that stuff out and I was completely operating under trying to control everything and try, trying to 
protect myself from, you know, experiencing any sort of tragedy or, you know, all these things that I feared. And it was completely consuming me that I had completely lost sight of my faith. Um, and for somebody who's, you know, grown up in, in the church and stuff like that, like it was a kind of a, a moment for me that was like, I've kind of lost myself in this, you know, I've, I've completely lost the way that I even, you know, view the world. Like that's completely changed. Like I'm not like these things that I believe I'm not even acting out in my life. So, you know, I had to, I just had to rely on God and say, you know, if he's saying, be anxious for nothing. Do not worry. Like I, those are things that I need to take on, and I need to recognize that I am limited. Um, he is not, but I am, and I have to recognize that and and recognize my humility to that. Because again, pride was a big thing. You know, pride was a big part of that. Which is, I can do this. I am not limited. Like I'm a uh, I'm really good at all these things, and I'm like you know doing all the right things. And um, I had to let go of that and say you can't. You can't do it all like um, and, you know, I I think pride's been a big thing for me my entire life, to be honest. Like I find pride in my work. I think it's part of the overachievers thing is like, look at all these things I did and I love achievement and I love accomplishment. And so at some point I just felt like, okay, you know, you're not going to be able to get everything done. And truthfully, in my business, I let go of a lot of things. Um, I stopped Instagramming, you know, I stopped doing these things that I felt like the pressure to keep upholding because I knew that I needed to focus my energy on (laughs) myself and like making, making it through all of this. And if that, if it was adding to my anxiety, but not like a necessity in my life, I let it go. And, um, and you know, I've always looked and I will be honest, I've looked at people who've had kids and their businesses have kind of like gone to the wayside for six months. And I was very judgy McJudgerson. I would be like, oh, why didn't you schedule a bunch of blog posts before you had your baby? Like, why didn't you get, why didn't you hire somebody to like manage your social media and like do it for you while you're gone? And going through it was a huge wake up call for me. It was like, whoa, like it's, <laughs> that is a, first of all, no. Second of all, like that's a lot to do. And most women probably experience some, the statistics are like, you know, 10%-ish of women experience postpartum depression and anxiety, but I think it's a lot more. And I think a, a lot of women are really in the, on the struggle bus and are going through it. And you do, it's a form of survival. It's just like, okay, I've got to focus on the things. I've, I've got to take a step back. I can't do it all. I'm limited and I have to move forward with what are the necessities and, and I have to take care of myself. Um, And so that was kind of my approach. The only thing, the only regret I have is that I didn't have an established, trusted therapist that I could go to. And that was just simply because I was in an area where I I didn't know anybody. And truthfully, I hadn't really established any medical care outside of outside of the midwife. Um, So that's going to be something that that I do different moving forward. Claire, saying that to myself, what is now that you're pregs and doing all the things, (laughs) going through all the motions? What are you going to do differently? Have you already started to experience any sort of those feelings and emotions coming up again? And like, how do you plan on doing things differently? Yeah. So um, I definitely, for this pregnancy, again, we were trying. It took us kind of a while. I had a couple of miscarriages. And so that has led to its own host of issues, you know, in this pregnancy that I didn't experience before. I'm about 20 weeks now and definitely... I've said this multiple times now that like my 
thought process and my just the way I'm thinking about things has completely shifted. In my first pregnancy, I was so focused on my birth plan and birth. And now I'm like, I could kind of not care less, but that's so to me, so much less important than setting myself up for success with postpartum. Mm. And so for me, that has looked like, so the very first thing that I changed, um, was I switched providers. So I had a really good experience with my actual practitioner and the hospital that I was at was really great, but I went to my first appointment and I completely freaked out. I had this overwhelming feeling of like, I cannot be here. This, you know, I just had these like really true flashbacks of really that moment where he was born and on the other side of the room and I couldn't see him. And I I just was brought back to that moment. And it was like, if I had myself convinced, if I go down that, if I go back to this hospital with these same providers, that is the road I'm putting myself on again. And so I switched providers. We're actually um, going to be, we're planning up for a home birth with um, a completely different midwife group. And that in and of itself has taken a lot of pressure off to just feel empowered by saying like, okay, not only am I completely changing my plan, but I'm completely changing um, the type of care I'm getting because these, the home birth midwives that I'm using which if you're in the front range, they're called the Community Roots uh, Midwives, Midwife Collective, I think they're called. And they, as part of their standard care, offer a ton of postpartum support. So they're there with you for like four to six hours after you give birth. They come back 24 hours later. They do a one-day, three-day, five-day, seven-day, 14-day, 28-day, and then um, three – wait – 28 day and then six week, eight week, 12 week, I think, uh, check. Wow. So a ton of, maybe, maybe it's a little bit less than that, but like, it's like seven or eight postpartum touch points. And even, and that in and of itself, I was like, I'm sold mm-hmm. just yeah. to know that someone will be there at, you know, a lot in that first week to help with like, like I said, my last time I could barely even walk. You know, in, in that first week, in those first couple of weeks for somebody to be able to, you know, kind of be there and who is very much trained in recognizing postpartum depression. And the other big thing that I've done is I have been working with a therapist who specializes in postpartum mood disorders and in um, helping with if you've gone through pregnancy or infant loss or anything like that. And so I've been processing the miscarriage experiences that I had. And then also kind of going back and reprocessing the trauma from Miles's birth experience and more than anything, just trying to create a baseline with her so that, you know, when I do have a postpartum appointment with her at two weeks, she can look at me and say, you're not acting like yourself, you know, or I can go to her and say, I don't feel like myself and she'll actually know what to do. So those are the two big things are just, and then I'm also planning to have a postpartum doula which I did not have last time, um, which if you're not familiar with that, it's basically a professional who comes into your home and basically they are just like this little fairy who is there to support you yeah. in any way that you need. Most people will do them <laughs> for like a half day, once or twice a week for the first one to two months. And so as part of my baby shower, since our baby registry, since we already have so many of the baby things that we need, I'm basically just setting up funding for a lot of that postpartum support as well. 
That's really cool. So really, really trying to be proactive this time. And again, like, you know, obviously with, with, with the home birth, I am thinking about the birth situation and planning for that, but I'm not obsessing over it the way that I did in my first pregnancy. And I'm kind of more so just like, okay, I've done this before. I can do it again. And what I, and what I really need is to know that no matter what happens, because so much of that is out of my control in the labor process, no matter what happens, I will be set up to have support in the postpartum, whether I am, you know, nothing but sunshines and rainbows coming out of that, or whether I have a horrible Mm -hmm. experience or, you know, whether there's severe complications or whatever, I won't come out of that into like just an alleyway feeling like where are my, where's my support? Mm. Yeah. I love that you already have somebody that you know, that you trust that knows you. And I, I wish that that would be something that everybody has, you know, I, I, it's hard. There's a lot of stigma around it, but if you're already struggling now, if you had that in your history, if you have anxiety and depression in your history, or maybe it's genetic thing in your family, I think it would definitely be worth establishing care with somebody and just saying, Hey, I'm taking a proactive approach. Yeah. I have my own anxieties. I have things going on, but I'm also having a baby. And like, you know, so much happens when you have a baby, like there's so much to process. Yeah. So like, why not get established? And you can't prepare for it. Like I, there's no way to describe (coughs) to someone what's about to happen. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest parts. And I think even if you don't have a history or any preconception that you may or may not be a higher risk for a postpartum mood disorder, even just finding someone in your community or someone in your area who specializes in postpartum and going to that person even just two or three times or one or two times just to establish that relationship and say, hey, I'm coming to you because I don't know what postpartum is going to look like and I want to have a resource if I need it. That therapist mm-hmm. will be more than excited and understanding to be that resource for you. And then if shit does hit the fan and you get to the point where you're like, I don't know what to do, you can be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to call whoever because she already – I already know her. And even if you've only spent one hour with that person, at least then you have someone to call. Right. And you can quickly get in with them as opposed right. to like going through the whole process. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so I feel like we could talk about this for a million years, but this has been <laughs> a very long conversation. Quite close already. to that, actually. Yes. And I wish that we could talk more about like all the different things that can contribute because what I really, really hope, if even one person listens to this and says, "I was really struggling," and you made me realize that I needed to reach out and get help, um, mm-hmm. then I really think that that is the goal. So postpartum.net is the Postpartum Support International website. Um. If I, my recommendation would be to start with your practitioner, your OB or your midwife and go, if you're feeling anything other than like, if you're feeling like you can't handle this, or if you're feeling, if you have the thought of like, I can't keep doing this, if anything is happening, that is really, I think just that like trapped feeling or that, um, intrusive thoughts feeling of like, I can't do this. I can't keep doing this. I can't believe this is my life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are having any, obviously any sort of suicidal feelings, that is an emergency. Um, if you even just feel disconnected from your baby or your husband or other people in your life, all of those are warning signs. You don't have to let it get to the point 
where you don't recognize yourself or you don't have to let it get to the point where you're in a crisis and calling your husband from across the country <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> telling your right. husband to get rid of all the sharp objects in the house. Like, don't let it get to that point. The What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, if you're starting, even if you're just feeling a little bit overwhelmed, it's normal to be overwhelmed, but it you don't have to feel that way. And no harm will ever come from asking for help. Even if you if you don't end up, quote unquote, getting diagnosed with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, no harm will come from reaching out and saying, I need some more resources. I need some more help and getting those resources and getting that help and getting, you know, just rallying the troops, getting a professional to weigh in on your mental status if you need it. You know, there's just, you don't have to, like, there's no... There's no line you have to cross that says, okay, now I can get help. Right. Exactly. And that was, that was my biggest fear to be truthful is, is I was like, I know this isn't postpartum depression. Something's wrong, but it's not postpartum depression. But what if I like, what if this really isn't put like clinical postpartum anxiety? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you don't feel right, like you, there is only good things that will come from getting help talking to a therapist and switching things up so that your mental state is better. Yes. Even if you don't get that clinical diagnosis, you will only benefit and be able to get better. Completely. So, yeah. Yep. So postpartum.net is a resource um, or start with your OB or your midwife and really push them on what, you know, who's out there. If you are not worried about staying within your insurance, if you have the resources to pay cash for um, these types of services, you can Google or have your husband Google or your mom postpartum therapist um, in your area. And the vast majority of places will have those resources available. Even if it's just like, you know, an independent private practice therapist who happens to specialize in postpartum mood disorders or, or even just in families and new moms, you know, being a new mom, honestly, in and of itself is reason enough to go to therapy. <laughs> True. Um, True. Yeah. So those are all places that, that I would start. If you guys are really, really lost and you're hearing this and you are just completely at a loss, um, you can always email girlsgonewild at gmail.com. Um, Joy is a licensed therapist. And so she has – she can't, like, offer you therapy over the internet, obviously. But she does have – a lot of great um, recommendations for other resources if you are just completely feeling lost. And the um, group that I was a part of is called, hold on, I'm going to find it. If you happen to be in the Denver area. Um, it was was it out different. of a hospital? Yes. It's run by, the, by Children's okay. Hospital Colorado. And I'm just going to look it up. Children's Hospital Colorado Postpartum Depression. Uh, healthy expectations is the name of the program. So you literally can just Google Children's Hospital Colorado Healthy Expectations, and they, even if you're not part of the program, they offer a support group once a week that is completely kid, kid, you know, child and baby friendly. Um, it's located at on the Children's Hospital campus in Aurora. So if you are in the Denver area, that's a great resource as well. Yeah, and I just looked up postpartum.net or I, I clicked on the actual link on the homepage that says help for moms and you click on that and it does have a number that you can call immediately or you can text. It has a text number and somebody will respond to you uh, fairly quickly, like somebody who is it's a confident, 
confidential thing and and these people are trained and know how to help you so if you're like just desperate um for immediate help i think that's a great resource too um claire i know Noel. <laughs> this has been quite the show here really <laughs> i don't think i've ever gone on this i don't think i've talked this much There's so, so much if you're still say. here there is a lot to say um I, I think that people who are listening to this who are interested in this kind of stuff, I, I you know, I think they'd probably want us to talk more. So I think it's, yeah. a, it's a great thing. Um, and we would love to talk more about this. I mean, if this is something that you guys want to hear more of, then then talk to us about that. And I do think it will be interesting to hear about Claire's experience after this next child, uh, you know, about my experiences and, and how those are different and what how we process those differently. Um but please, you know, email girlsgonewad at gmail.com. That's us. Yep. And, you know, reach out, reach out to us. We've been there. We, um, we've been in your shoes. We know how you feel and we want nothing more than to help. And to, like Claire said, if this just helps one person realize that they don't have to suffer silently um, and they can get help and that's okay, then we've done our job. So um, if if you aren't pregnant and you're thinking maybe you will be someday, like save this, write this down um, and come back to it when you are pregnant or maybe in those early postpartum days so that you can really know how to recognize when something's not right. Totally. So and send this episode to your friends who are pregnant or about to have babies. And then also, Noah, I don't know. Have you talked much about your uh, miscarriage experience on your podcast? Um. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Here or there. Um. Yeah. So if that was something that you heard in this podcast and said, wow, I really wish that you guys would talk more about that, um, you can go to Girls Gone Wad, episode 268. It's called Pearl Jam and Miscarriages. <laughs> and I talk a lot more about the experiences that I went through this year with I had um, three miscarriages and kind of what I did to process that and heal from that and um, all of the above. So for yeah, my podcast, and I'm- that's... I don't, I know that we have miscarriages in the topic. Um, it's more related to answering a question, not as cool as Pearl Jam though. Um, <laughs> but it, it, I know. So if you go to coconutskettlebells.com and then search in the search bar, like miscarriage or miscarriages, um, when people ask those questions, that's typically when I open up about my experience and helping people process through their experiences. Um, cause our show is more of a question and answer thing. So yeah, so you can definitely, there's a lot of resources. We're pretty open. We're open books here. <laughs> Obviously, uh, we talk a lot, we share a lot. And that's really just to help you know that you're not alone and that, you know, we seemingly who these people who have these beautiful, you know, Instagram lives like that's sarcastic. Um, You know, we we do struggle too. Um, you know, we we are in the fitness and the in the health and the uh, like holistic health world mm-hmm. and we still struggle totally. and it, that's OK. Um, and there's there's ways that you can get help. So, yep. Thanks, Claire. Thank you, Noel. This has been great. And yeah, yeah. Let's, well, I'm excited to talk again soon. Yeah. yeah. So um, each of us will talk to you respectively on our different podcasts next week. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Claire. Bye.